So I'm glad you're here this morning as we continue to study the names of God. And I hope you've got a Bible nearby because we're going to consider several uh, passages of Scripture this morning that relate to a couple of these names of God that we're going to share this morning. But as we do that, as we start this morning, I want you to think about a specific idea found in Psalm 91. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I encouraged you to go to Psalm 91 sometime during the week and just begin to think about the truths that were there related to the idea of El Elyon, the Most High God. Well, actually, the name, one of the names we're going to talk about this morning is also found in Psalm 91. In Psalm 91, verse 14, it says this, Because he has set his heart on me, this is the Lord speaking, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. That has a couple of meanings. One, it means that if you know God's names, you know his character, you know who he is. I love the fact that as we've studied the names of God, we understand specifically things about him that we might not get just by reading the name Lord or God in our English Bibles. So we're getting a lot more detail, a lot more um, intimacy with him, hopefully in his character and who he is. And I love this, uh, this Psalm, this text from the, this verse from Psalm 91, because he's talking about the power of knowing the Lord's name. So yes, it means that we know him, but it also means that we know him in great detail. And when we know him in great detail, it produces something in our lives. You know, we live in a world uh, that's full of threats and a lot of us can easily become uh, focused on things that scare us, things that we're fearful about. I'm curious in your life in the last four weeks, if we've, as we've looked at the names of God, what's happening to fear in your life? Because in my own life, things that I've been worried about or anxious about are growing smaller as I've focused on the amazing character of God. You know, the Bible says that knowing him produces a sense of protection in us. It drives out those fears and, and gives us a sense of courage, a sense of faith and trust in him. You know, I love the fact that we can, we were actually given permission from God to think of him in these terms, these different names that we've been studying. He actually wants us to think of him in these terms. Anything else really is idolatry. It's, it's, to, it's to think of him incorrectly. You remember what we talked about the very first week, that the quote from A.W. Tozer, that what comes into a man's mind when he thinks of God is the most important thing about him. And certainly as we know his names and as we're getting to know him personally in our lives, I, my hope is that that's chasing out fear in your life and creating more of a sense of boldness in you. I want you to think about something this morning. What is, what's the most bold thing you've ever done for the Lord in your life? Just think about that for a second. And, and it, honestly, moms and dads today, I would encourage you to share that after the service is over today. Share that with your children, either around the lunch table or later today, or if you gather for a prayer time tonight before you go to bed, think about that. What's the boldest thing you've ever done for the Lord? The reality is as we get closer to the Lord, as we know him better, he produces great boldness in our lives. Now, a second question that goes along with that is this, is that a current story in your life or is that an older story in your life? Is that something from way back that you did in maybe junior high or high school, or even as a college student or as a young adult? Or is that something maybe that's current in your life that just happened even in the last couple of weeks that God has increased your sense of boldness as you've come to know his names? One of the benefits of knowing God personally is having an increasing sense of boldness for him that, that overcomes our fears in our life. And so this morning, the first name that we're gonna look at together is essentially a name that will increase your sense of faith, your sense of trust, your sense of protection that God has over your life and, 
and give you strength and give you courage and boldness to go forward. And the name is this, it's the name El Shaddai. That may be a familiar name to you. Some of you who are probably in your mid forties or older will remember that many years ago, Amy Grant had a song, a contemporary Christian artist had a song by that name, El Shaddai, which is a great song. Biblically, the lyrics in that song are very strong. Speaking of El Shaddai and several other names of God that are mentioned in that song, so you may be familiar with hearing the name El Shaddai, but what does it mean? Well, it's a compound of Elohim and the word Shaddai, uh, which means almighty. So it's God, the almighty or almighty God. Now that may be a very familiar um, name for God in your vernacular, God almighty, that God is almighty. But sometimes things that are very common to us almost lose their meaning because we've said them so much or we've heard them so much that we almost don't think about specifically what they mean. So think of it this way. God is almighty, but God is the overpowerer. The word, the root word for Shaddai is Shaddai, which means literally it means to devastate or to ruin. It means to act violently against. Now, we don't like to think of God in those terms, but the reality is this. Sometimes our view of God is too small. It's too weak. If El Elyon is the idea of God being most high, then this idea of El Shaddai is that God is most powerful, that he is the overpowerer, that there's nothing that can overpower him and he is able to overpower everyone and everything. So this idea of him devastating or ruining comes in the idea of judgment because one day ultimately God will overpower, he will act violently against, he will judge, he will ruin, he will devastate all of his enemies. He will do that to everyone who chooses to not live for him and not know him and not be in a relationship with him. Someday God will judge the world in that way. Matthew 25 talks about, Jesus talks about how in the end of time, he's gonna gather the nations before him and sheep separate the sheep from the goats. And it's a, it's a picture of judgment that's gonna happen one day. And we don't like to think of God in those terms, but God is an overpower. There's no one more powerful than him. And that's where we get the idea of God as almighty. Well, the first place we see that in scripture is actually in Genesis chapter 17. So if you have your Bible and you wanna go ahead and turn there, we're gonna look at the first couple of verses there together. But just to set the context up, you realize that over the last few weeks, we've been in Genesis quite a bit because in the very first book of the Bible, God is all about revealing himself over and over again to the, the different men and women that he interacted with in the book of Genesis. And so we've talked about Abram before, who ultimately, and in this passage today, is gonna to get his name changed to Abraham. We've talked about him before and what he went through, that he was a man who as far back as Genesis 12, God promised would ultimately be the father of multitudes, many nations, many offspring. But he was in Genesis chapter 12, he's 76 years old and he has no children. And his wife is around the same age and she's never born a child for him. and so. He's uh, a childless man. He has no children, he has no offspring, and yet God's made him this amazing promise. And so God, over the next 24 years, all the way up until where we're gonna read this morning in Genesis 17, has made him several promises over and over again. You're gonna be the father of many offspring. You're gonna be the father of many nations. And he does that again in Genesis chapter 17. And, and this is what he says in, in chapter uh, 17, verse one, when Abram was 99 years old, so 24 years have transitioned since Genesis 12, the Lord, Yahweh, appeared to Abram saying, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you 
and I will multiply you greatly. So El Shaddai gives Abram, um, who he's no longer going to call Abram. If you go on and read the next few verses, he says, I'm going to change your name to Abraham because you're going to be the father of multitudes. And that's what that means. And so uh, I'm changing your name. I'm the God, I'm the overpowering God, the almighty God. And I'm making, again, a, a confirmation of this impossible promise that I've made in your life. Now, why would I call it an impossible promise? Because nothing's impossible with God. We know that. But oftentimes, like Abram or Abraham, we can look around our lives and just feel like we are faced with impossible situations. And it's very easy in that moment to become discouraged and defeated and honestly, for your life to be full of fear. But as you focus on, on El Shaddai in your life, as you focus on the God who is almighty, who is the overpowerer, it changes your perspective. Because what you see is that God's gonna fulfill this promise in Abraham's life, in Sarah's life, and he is gonna give them a child, which we talked about last week, and, and he's gonna ultimately do exactly what he said he was gonna do. But in the moment, it feels like after 24 years of waiting, that's a long time. It feels almost like this is not gonna happen, but God comes to him and he reassures him, my name is El Shaddai. I am the overpower. I am over everything and everyone in terms of my power and no one and no thing is over me. The name El Shaddai is used 48 times in the Old Testament. And 31 of those times are found in one specific book in the Old Testament. You wanna guess what that might be? I'll give you a second. Okay, it's the book of Job, a book that is filled with disappointment, with grief, even a sense of sometimes hopelessness. And yet into the midst of Job's story, this really terrible, almost impossible situation that Job found himself in, with the full knowledge of God, the full permission of God for this to happen in his life, God shows up 31 times as El Shaddai, the God who's over power, the God who powers over everything and nothing is able to power over him. So sometimes in our situation, in our lives, we, uh, we think about hope and where does our hope come from? We think about our families or our finances, our abilities or other things in our life that we tend to put our hope in and all those things to some degree are fleeting. And none of those things can ultimately overpower things that come against us in our lives. But God, El Shaddai, your father, the God that you love and serve, reveals himself as the God who overpowers all, the God who cannot be overpowered. Now, the Lord tells Abraham an amazing thing here. He says to Abraham, he says, live in my presence and be blameless. Now, I love that because when you live in the presence of El Shaddai, when you live in the awareness every day that God is the overpowerer, it changes the way you look at every situation you're in. Instead of being full of fear, it helps you be full of faith. It helps you be full of trusting in what the Lord can do in any moment because God can overpower anything and everything that stands in the way of him accomplishing his promises in Abraham's life and in your life as well, because nothing can thwart the promises of God, absolutely nothing. So you remember that a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this idea of the commands because he talks about here to fulfill the commands and statutes. And, and the idea here is that the number one command, the most important command, we talked about this when we talked about the name Elkanah, is that we should love the Lord our God supremely. 
And so when you think about the commands, that's what it talks about. Well, how do you accomplish that in your life? Maybe on that Sunday, as we talked about that, you realize that you'd like to be able to say that you love God supremely, but you're not really there yet. You do exactly what God told Abraham in Genesis 17 here. You live in his presence in the full awareness that he's with you, he's present with you, and he's all these wonderful characteristics that we've talked about through his names. Jesus even echoed this exact idea on his last night with his disciples in the upper room in John 15, when he said this to his disciples, he says, as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. Now that word remain is gonna be used three times in this passage. So he says, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And the word remain here means to live in. It's exactly what Abraham was told by God live in my presence, remain in my presence, stay or dwell. That's what this word that Jesus uses here with his disciples, he's telling them he's about to go away. And he's saying, I'm going away, but you stay in my love. You remain in my love. You do exactly what God told Abraham. You remain in my presence, stay here, walk around here, live here. Don't ever move away from this in your life. And so we have the same promises and the same admonitions that if we'll live in the presence of the Lord, if we'll live in the awareness of who God is every day, it will transform everything about our lives. And the second thing that God tells Abraham is, is live in my presence and be blameless. And I don't know about you, but blamelessness seems like a hard idea to understand because we know that none of us are sinless. None of us are perfect. And so how can you be blameless if you're able to be blamed for sin in your life? The idea is that you take control and take charge of sin in your life and deal with it when it comes up. All of us do sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all struggle with sin from time to time in our lives. It's what we do with it. It's how we deal with it when the Holy Spirit convicts us of it. For example, if your sin is public, then you probably need to confess your sin publicly, repent of your sin publicly because you have no idea who's been offended by your sin. I remember years ago in Baptist churches, especially, we used to do, have an opportunity for people to come forward during an invitation to response time and actually say they're sorry to a congregation and say, look, I haven't been living the way that I should be living. They don't necessarily say specifically what they've been involved in, but they have a chance to publicly repent and say, I'm sorry. And I want to ask you to forgive me so that going forward, if there's a change in that person's life, then people could say, no, that's not, I can't hold that against that person anymore because they repented of it. They're blameless now, they're not perfect, but I can't blame them for that anymore because they've repented of it. If your sin's public, you repent, public, repent publicly. But if your sin is private, if it's between you and some other person, then you go to that person and you repent privately to them. Or, or if your sin has been uh, something that someone in, you, in your life is offended by, you go and you repent to that person, the Bible says. You leave your offering, Jesus said, and you go make it right with that person. So if your sin's private, you repent privately. And if your sin's secret, if your sin is just between you and God, and it's not between somebody else, then you can repent secretly to God. But so many times, that's the idea of blamelessness is that we, we don't deal with our sin appropriately and we remain not from God's perspective necessarily, but we remain in people's minds as blamed because we're not willing to come clean and just confess that we need people's forgiveness and we need God's forgiveness. And so I would encourage you to do exactly what Abraham is encouraged to do here. And that's live in the presence of El Shaddai, the overpowering God, and be blameless. Deal with your sin appropriately as God convicts you of it in your life. And when you do that, 
when you do that, you'll have a sense of confidence and fearlessness that God wants us to have in our lives as we follow him. So that's the first name that I wanna talk about this morning. The idea of El Shaddai, the God who is almighty, the God who overpowers everything. The second name this morning is the name Yahweh Rapha. Yahweh, of course, it's a compound of Yahweh. Yahweh, of course, means self-existent, personal, and present. And often, as I've said before, the times that God uses this name, it's when he's dealing and interacting with people uh, most often. And so we add to that the idea this morning of Rapha, which is the word that means to heal. So Yahweh Rapha means the God who heals. That's a powerful thought. And that's probably an idea that some of you are familiar with uh, because we've, it's been in our vernacular as Christians. So where, is God, where does God reveal that? Well, in Exodus chapter 15, God reveals to the people of Israel this idea of God as healer. Now, here's the context of the passage. In fact, what I would encourage you to do is the first 18 verses of chapter 15 there in Exodus. Maybe today at lunch, you just sit down with your family because it's a song and I'm not encouraging you to sing it necessarily. But before you sit down to your meal today, why don't you just read through this song because it's a celebration of exactly what God did in the lives of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea. And you remember that uh, was an amazing, impossible situation again, that God shows up as El Shaddai in that moment to say, I can even overpower creation when I choose to, which is nothing for the creator of creation to do. And he did that. They're being chased by Pharaoh and, their, and his army, and they've left Egypt where they were slaves. God's finally set them free. The Pharaohs finally said they can go. And then he changes his mind. He begins to pursue them and chase them. And they come to this wall. They come to this wall of water called the Red Sea, and they have no way to get across it. And you know the rest of the story. God parted the sea. They crossed on dry land. And then as Pharaoh and his army went into the dry land, the water swept them up and they drowned. And they never bothered the Israelites again, the Bible says. And so, so God does this amazing miracle. So now in Exodus 15, they're celebrating that in the first 18 verses. And then they head out and they go into this desert into a place called Shur. If you listen to the podcast this week, you'll remember that Pastor Jeffrey brought out the meaning of what that, what that word Shur means. It means wall. And so uh, as we talked about Hagar's life last week, as she left and ran away from Abram and Sarah and she ran out into the wilderness, she ran into Shur. She ran into a wall basically in her life. Well, that's where the people of Israel, now they've just seen God do this amazing impossible miracle because God can overpower even the creation that he created. And yet now they don't have water and they're wondering what they're gonna do. And so in Exodus 15, verse 26, um, they've, they've come basically to this place called Marah where there is water, but the water's not fit to drink, it's bitter. And so God tells uh, Moses what to do and he goes and cuts down this tree and he throws it in the the water and the water becomes drinkable, it becomes fit to drink. And so again, they've just seen God do this amazing miracle. And this is what it says in verse 26 of Exodus 15. If you will carefully obey the Lord, your God, he uses both those names, Elohim, Yahweh, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, which we just talked about his most important command is that you love him supremely, keep all his statutes. I will not inflict any illnesses on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am Yahweh Rapha. Now, that's such an interesting thing because there were many illnesses that came about in the people's lives as a result of the 10 plagues. And you can go back and remember that, that God inflicted 12, or sorry, 10 plagues on the people of Egypt to cause the leader, Pharaoh, to ultimately say, 
the Israelites can leave. Now, the Israelites were slave labor to him. And so he wanted them to be in Egypt because he needed their help. And he was making, they were making him successful, essentially. And yet God wanted to free them. God had set his love on them. He wanted to free them and take them to this amazing promised land where they could serve him and love him. And uh, so God used these 10 plagues and they're, they're terrible things that God inflicted. Again, El Shaddai, the, the overpower, ultimately overpowers the power of Pharaoh and he lets the people go. And in the midst of this situation, he says to his people, if you'll follow me, if you'll love me supremely, if you'll be my people, I won't bring any of the illnesses on you that I brought on the Egyptians. So it's, it's kind of a conditional thing. It's a covenant relationship. He's saying, do these things and none of these things will happen to you. Now he wasn't saying you'll never get sick. He was saying, I won't put the illnesses of Egypt on you. I won't put the results of those plagues on you that I put onto Egypt. So the reality is oftentimes when we think about God as a healer, we think only of God healing us physically. And certainly God is able to do that. And we see ultimate examples of that, many examples of that in the Bible where Jesus actually did that. So there is physical healing. And I believe there are times, obviously my wife has experienced that recently and we praise God for that. But God is El Shaddai. He's El Shaddai and he's Yahweh Rapha. He's over our health situation in our lives. That doesn't mean though that we always get healed. We'll talk more about that this week in the Extra Point podcast. But, but God does say that he's able to heal us and physically certainly is one of the areas that he's able to heal us to bring us into this place of wellness. And that's really what the idea of Rapha is. It's the God who heals you or you could say the God who restores you or who repairs you, because it's not just the idea of physical healing. I mean, the Bible says in Matthew 15 about Jesus that moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee and he went up on the mountain and sat there. And large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, and those unable to speak and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them. Can you just put yourself in that place for a minute? You've never been able to speak and Jesus heals you. You've never been able to hear and Jesus heals you. You couldn't see and now Jesus heals you and you can see or you can walk for the first time in your life. And it says many other things. So we know that because Jesus was God in the flesh, he is El Shaddai, he is the overpower. And he, he used many, many examples of that in his life as he healed people, as he even spoke to the water and calmed the storms and did all kinds of amazing things, walked on water. So he exercised his power over creation in a lot of different ways and certainly in the ways that he healed people physically. But he didn't just heal people and come to heal people physically. Maybe more importantly, he came to heal people spiritually. And Yahweh Rapha encompasses the idea of not just physical healing, but spiritual healing as well. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, where it describes the suffering servant, it really is describing, it's a prophecy about Jesus Christ and what he would do when he came to earth. It says this, but he being Jesus was pierced because of our rebellion crushed because of our iniquities, the punishment for our peace was upon him and we are healed by his wounds. And literally the context of that means that we were spiritually healed by the fact that he died on the cross for us. And maybe this morning as you're watching, that's you. Your greatest need in your life is spiritual healing. Your, your greatest need is spiritual restoration or repairing and, and Jesus alone can do that. And I'm gonna tell you more about that in just a few minutes. But not only does Jesus heal us and God heal us as, as Jehovah or Yahweh Rapha, but he heals us physically, spiritually, and emotionally. 
And that's very, very important. The Bible talks about many places about the idea that we are brokenhearted. And oftentimes that's a way to say that, that psychologically or emotionally we're hurting in our lives. And this is what the Bible says in Psalm 147, three about that. It says, he, Yahweh, heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. See, God's desire for you is that you be whole, that you be well, not just physically and not just spiritually, but emotionally as well. And when we're emotionally, when we're emotionally wounded, we can know that Yahweh Rapha seeks to come to us and restore us and repair us in that area as well. As a church right now, we're in need of, of some emotional and spiritual healing in our lives. We've been through a lot in the last couple of months as a church. And it's so amazing to know that even in this time of crisis in our lives as a church, Yahweh Rapha has not abandoned us, but he's right here with us and he seeks to heal us. He seeks to restore us and to repair us. I mentioned to you at the end of the service a couple of weeks ago that as leadership, we have been praying about a way to come together as a church and continue to heal, continue in the healing process. We very much need to do that and we want to do that. And so actually you've already received or will receive an email from our church telling you about some church family meetings that we're gonna be having this next week. And we prayed about what we should do. We've, we've listened to counsel from godly people in our lives and, and from some of you. And, and we're just been seeking the Lord to know what it is we should do and how should we handle this. So we're gonna have several of these church family meetings that you'll be able to sign up for and attend one of those. And we'll socially distance and, and give us a chance to share scripture together and, and be transparent as church leadership with our church and begin to heal. Let the Lord, Yahweh Rapha, really work on healing. Some of you may have already gotten to that place in your life and, and you don't need to come to one of these meetings. That's totally up to you. But we wanna make it available to everyone who's a member of our church to say, we feel like corporately, it would be a really good thing for us to come together and allow Yahweh Rapha to work in our lives, to lead us spiritually to a place of restoration, a place of repairing the wounds that we have in our lives. And so at the end of the service here in just a few minutes, I'm gonna invite Pastor Andy to come up and we're gonna give you a little more detail about how to be involved in those and what to kind of expect at those. So uh, you'll know more about that. Psalm 30 verse 11 says this, and I love this. You turn my lament into dancing, speaking of the Lord, and you remove my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness. That's what can happen in our lives when we submit ourselves to Yahweh Rapha. When we go to him and say, Lord, I need your healing. I, not, I don't just need physical healing. I need spiritual and emotional healing in my life as well. And he is the only, he's the only God that can turn my lament, my sorrow, my grief into dancing before him. He's the only one that can lift my head. He's the only one that can raise my eyes. And as I focus on him, as I see him and all these amazing ways he describes himself through his names, he actually brings about healing. He gives me the ability, he gives you the ability to move forward and to move beyond the things that we've been struggling with. So I would even say to you, if you plan to attend one of these uh, family meetings that's coming up this week, that I would encourage you to read Psalm 30, the whole thing, it's not a long Psalm, but it's a great thing to just help prepare your heart before you come. And I want you to be prepared for that. So, so many often, I'm so sorry to say, so often in our lives, we pray for physical healing for people. And that's a great thing. People that we love, we don't wanna see them suffering. I think it was Adrian Rogers that said though, we spend so much time as Christians today 
praying to keep saints out of the hospital and so little time praying to keep sinners out of hell. Maybe that's true in your life. I don't know if you've thought about that much. How much time do you spend praying for your one? Or maybe you've got multiple ones in your life, people in your life that you're seeking to share the gospel with to communicate to them how much God loves them and cares about them. How much time do you spend praying for them, praying to actually Yahweh Rapha to say, God, I want you to heal this person spiritually. I want you to heal them physically. I want you to heal them spiritually. I want you to heal them emotionally. I want them to have wellness, wholeness in their lives. When you do that, you see amazing things happen. Would you do that this week? Would you make that a matter of prayer to say, God, I want you to heal this person's life that I care so much about because God cares about them as well. So how do these two names go together? This idea of El Shaddai, the overpower, God Almighty, and Yahweh Rapha. They're not two separate gods. They're the same God who, have these ama- who has these amazing characteristics that we talk about here. Well, I think about a verse like Jeremiah 20 or 32, 27, where it says, look, I am the Lord, the God, and that's Yahweh Elohim, the God of every creature. Is anything too difficult for me? It's a rhetorical question, but it's a great question because so many times when we're faced with impossible situations, we may be tempted to think, no, this is, even, this is even too hard for God. This is impossible even for God. Not El Shaddai, because that would suggest that something is more powerful than him. And there's nothing more powerful than him. He overpowers everything. So how does that relate to things that we struggle with? Well, we know that God is not only the overpower, but he's also the healer. So he's able to take control and overpower anything that keeps him from fulfilling his promises in our life and and bringing about our healing because God desires that we would be healed. He desires that we would be close to him. I'm so encouraged as I hear uh, people from our church telling me about neighbors and friends of theirs. Um, Those of you who are watching each week who we haven't seen your face necessarily before, but because we're not able to gather in person yet and haven't been for several weeks, maybe there's many of you I've been hearing some stories about who've never even been to our campus But because we were in this weird situation with Corona, you decided to tune in. And from the comfort of your own home, you could sort of observe what was going on and be a part. And so you've been here for several weeks now. You're part of us. You're part of our our congregation now. We want to invite you to come be a part physically, if you're able to. If you don't feel comfortable about that yet, that's fine. We're still going to continue to offer this online each week. It'll be a broadcast of our live services once we start back together next week here in the room. But I just want to encourage you to continue to be a part of this, whether you come to the campus physically or you you continue to watch where you are. And my greatest prayer for you is this, as we talked about this morning, that you would experience spiritual healing, that you would experience what it says in Isaiah, that by his wounds, you're healed because our iniquities, it says the punishment for our sin fell on him. That essentially he took the payment, the penalty, the punishment, for my sin and for your sin onto himself on that cross. And he paid all of that. He paid the penalty for my sin so that now I can have unfettered access to this amazing God that we've been talking about here each week. Now, the promise is not just for me, it's for you as well. So if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, you've never said to Jesus, hey, I believe you're the savior of the world. I believe you died on the cross, that you rose again three days later. I believe you paid my penalty for sin and I want you to be my savior. I wanna do what the Bible says, which is everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13 says that. You could do that right where you are this morning. 
and there'd be nothing better that you could do because that would begin your spiritual healing. He would, he would remove the sin barrier in your life between you and God and you can actually talk to God and the Lord God can talk to you and you can have this amazing personal relationship. That's what he made you for. That's why you're here is to figure that out before your life ends and you go into eternity because then it's too late. So while you're still here, while you still have breath and life, the Lord wants to save you. Jesus wants to save you and give you a personal relationship with God. Jesus said about himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless he comes through me. And so this morning, if you would like to have that relationship, I'd like to lead you in just a time of calling on the name of the Lord, which is what the Bible says you should do. It's a demonstration of your faith and trust. And so if you just pray with me, here's the simple thing. You can just say this to the Lord because he knows your heart. He knows everything about you. You can just say, dear God in heaven, I know that Jesus is the savior of the world, but I want him to save me. I am confessing that I'm a sinful person and you know that and I know that God. I don't want sin in my life anymore. I don't want any part of it. I turn away from it. I want salvation. I want you to come into my life and save me. I thank you, Lord, for loving me and for saving me and forgiving me right now. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed to receive Christ, we want you to know that we're excited for you. I wanna say welcome to the family and we'd love a chance to help you take your next step. You can actually text next step one to 555-888 and someone from our church will text you back. If you're willing to have a conversation, then you can decide that from that point on, but it's just a way that we can reach out and connect with you and help you take your next step. But we're really excited for you this morning.